Einfach so machen, dass ich jetzt einen Podcast haben, nur Cash as always. Und, um, well, I say as always. Been a bit thin on the ground these days. I'll, you know, just haven't been able to too much. Uh, hopefully, I can get back to it uh, at some point in the near future. But um, today, we, we, you know, had to make a make a special effort um, because Francis Ngannou is a real boxer now. Francis Ngannou surprised us all by nearly beating Tyson Fury. So I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about Ashiki Foster versus uh, Rocky Hernandez because that was a very good fight. And if you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it. Um, and there are a couple of other fights on each card that I want to... Well, one, one other fight on each card that I want to talk about, so I'm going to do that. Um, Fabio Wardley versus David Adelaide in, in Saudi Arabia on the Fury Nagano card. And um, and I want to talk about Justice Huni just a little bit you know, on the other on the other card in Mexico. But first things first, Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury, but you know, I think we all know who the story of the fight was, everyone's talking about Francis Ngannou. Um, I want to clear one thing up first, was Francis Ngannou robbed? Not really, no. Um, he could have won, He, you know, you could find a way to score it for him, but for me he only definitely won three rounds, and I think Tyson Fury also definitely won three rounds, um, although I say that, but the official scoring had, uh, had um, a couple of judges give a uh, give Fury around, I thought Nagani definitely won, I think it was four, and um, a couple of judges give uh, Nagani rounds that I thought Fury definitely won, like I thought Fury pretty definitely won the last two, and I think most observers did, but um, I think two of the judges scored around 11 to, to Nagano, so, um, so um, you know, it was, no, I think there were definitely three rounds each, and then the rest were split, but the judges clearly saw it even a bit differently than that, but I don't think it was a robbery. Um, like if it was pride rules, if we were scoring damage or score over, you know, um, over the whole fight, or even if the scoring system was a bit different in boxing and, uh, you know, damage, there was a bit more finesse for scoring damage, then you could argue that, but um, but that's not how boxing is scored, uh, you know. Ngannou won the rounds he did, but um, apart from the knockdown, none of them were 10-8 rounds, so... Um, so he has to make do with the rounds he, he, he won, and it, it's possible to score, um, you know, I think it would be very ungenerous to score seven rounds to Tyson Fury the way one judge did, probably possible, but um, but it was not difficult to score for Tyson Fury, um, you know, by uh, by six rounds, you know, to give to six rounds to Tyson Fury, it's not, it's not difficult, it's not, it's not a robbery to give six rounds to Tyson Fury. Um, other than that though, is entirely the story is entirely about how Francis and Garner performed as well as he did. I did write an article about this on the Bloody Elbow, so if you want to, you know, read my thoughts, uh, look it up. But I will go into it for for you here. Um, and the gist of it is ultimately that um, the reason, you know, pretty much everyone, including myself, overlooked Nagani's chances entirely was we didn't think he was going to be able to adapt as a boxer. That the things he was going to do was going to be, you know limited by, it's going to be MMA stuff, you know, uh, uh, an MMA fighter trying to do boxing stuff, um, and instead he, you know, he really focused on a few things, that was the core thing for me, he was really disciplined, he didn't try to do too much, which did ultimately probably cost him the fight, I'll get to that later, but he didn't try to overreach and do too much, he didn't Come with this fucking ridiculous idea about disruption and angles, MMA angles. He fought as a boxer, and he taught himself how to do the things that he knows how to do. And the thing that he's good at in MMA, he figured out how to bring that into boxing. It's a really intelligent game plan. Um, and he, yeah, he didn't overreach. He didn't try to do things that he's not ready to do. Um, so he didn't, you know, he didn't get out of shape much. And it was just really, 
a really wise performance. Let's put it that way. Because this is a thing I've t talked about before, and I'm you know I'm not the only one. Lots of people talk about it. Um, the difference between in just in balance between boxing and MMA, between a boxing stance and MMA stance is that an MMA stance is very obviously in terms of the balance, in terms of in terms of the balance and stance set up to take punches, it's compromised by the need to take kicks and to take stop takedowns. It's you know just that you have to deal with those things, and that compromises your ability to throw punches, but it also compromises your ability to take punches. It's a Conor, Conor McGregor thing. Um, and uh, and uh, most of the time when we've seen MMA fighters come to boxing, it's either been them you know, still doing the MMA balance thing, still having those bad angles where you can you know, punch across them. Um, this is the, what I mean by the Conor McGregor thing, where uh, if you catch somebody in most, not all MMA fighters, but most MMA fighters at the right angle, they, they're not set to take the punch properly and they'll fall down easier than a boxer would taking the same punch. Um, Francis Ngannou really worked on his stance and he just got a stable footing under him and kept it and almost through that whole fight he almost never compromised that footing even when delivering shots and uh, and that was the thing that really surprised me that was the thing I didn't expect from him to be able to do because um, in MMA so far Francis Ngannou he is you know, obviously a ridiculous puncher but um, for the most part, when he delivers the big shots, the knockout shots, it involves a putting his weight through in a way. You know, obviously, boxers put their weight through the punches, but with Ngannou, it was shifting his whole body weight across in a way that was almost not quite uncontrolled all of the time. Sometimes clearly it was, but um, but big shifts in body weight that are firstly exploitable by opponents, and secondly, drain you a lot, and um. Like the example I used in my article, and so I'm going to use it again here, is if you watch the Overeem knockdown, he didn't use, he didn't shift his weight when he was delivering the shot so much, the knockout uppercut, but setting it up, he threw a big punch and dropped down with it, and then it came up afterwards into the uppercut, and um, and you can't really do that in boxing because you'll just get clipped and knocked over, like almost all fighters will be ready to just, you know, ping you. This is in fact getting onto it later an ironic thing not it wasn't a, it wasn't with delivering a shot but pretty much exactly what happened to Tyson Fury on the knockdown um, but I'll get to that in a second <laughs> um, yeah basically um, Francis Ngannou found a way to deliver his power in the boxing stance he changed his big shifts of weight into delivering power properly from from the ground from you know it wasn't remarkable but um, combined with his sharpness and accuracy he was hurting Tyson Fury pretty much every time he landed in the pocket and that really got into Tyson Fury's head like every time you know he thought he was going to be able to bully um, Nagano around and push him around and it didn't work it just didn't work um, because every time he got close Nagano had an answer it was he was counter punching and he wasn't you know Nagano pretty much didn't press throughout the whole fight um, but every time every time um, Fury tried to force the pace he found himself being Countered by being hurt by counters, not like badly hurt. Even the knockdown wasn't like a it didn't daze him or anything. It was a balance shot, but um, but he found himself not winning to pay the cost of being in there with Francis Ngannou, who was taking more damage from Ngannou when they were in the pocket than the other way around. <laughs> and I said, you know, I said to my brother, I was kind of joking about Ngannou was the best pocket boxer that uh, that Fury has faced, but 
you know, he might, he might be. And that's not like some making the guy some wonderful boxing pocket boxer. Um, Fury's sure, resume is just weird, and, and heavyweight boxing is weird, and the best fighters Fury has fought have not really been pocket fighters. Like a um, Gianni Wilder clearly isn't. He's just a one-shot uh, leap, leaping merchant um, who's you know just absolute shit in the pocket. Um, Klitschko could kind of fight in the pocket, but um, you know, well, yeah, he could fight in the pocket. I say kind of. He could kind of fight. In, he it wasn't his main game. He boxed behind a jab and tried to work behind that. And uh, Fury just won the jab battle and didn't engage. Um, and, you know, that is ultimately how he won here. When he decided to go to work with a jab, Nagano had no answers. But when he tried to exchange, to Fury's great surprise, um, he found himself in trouble. And um, I'm going to take an aside to say here Tyson Fury, despite his protestations of having a you know, full 12 week camp, he clearly wasn't in full shape and he clearly wasn't taking Nagano as seriously as he should. You know, should have been. I say should have been. Um, like I expected Fury even not taking it seriously to win the fight. Um, but yeah, he wasn't taking the fight completely seriously. The fact that Usyk was there to promote their supposed fight in December, which is now not happening, um, at least not in December. You know, he wasn't focusing on Ngano as an opponent. He he, and I mean, part of that, like um, fitness-wise, yeah, he was off. Preparations-wise, there was nothing he could prepare for because you just didn't know what you would even get. Um, but yeah, he, he wasn't at his best. Uh, but even if he had been, I think, you know, he probably would have found ways to do a bit more damage in the pocket, and he probably would have, you know, found a bit more in the clinch, which I'm going to get to in a second. But even if he'd have been at his best, those things would have surprised him. Like, even at his best, he probably wouldn't have wanted to risk being in the pocket and in the clinch, which, let me get on to that now. Tyson Fury is not a wonderful clincher. He's not a particularly... Uh, he doesn't attack out of the clinch or whatever, but um, but he uses the clinch, and by the clinch I mean what happens is he drapes himself on his opponents because he's bigger than everyone, and just drags him down or weighs him down and makes him carry his weight. He doesn't do any damage in doing that, but he very clearly, you know, is very much something that uh, that drains their gas tank. It stops their attacks because almost no one in boxing is able to. Um, he just has the training to do it, and um, and uh, it gives him, if he does get into trouble fighting in the pocket, he can grab hold, clinch up, and rest. And um, this, I think, was the real big problem for Tyson Fury. He didn't have that because Tyson Fury, uh, because Francis Ngannou turns out can clinch, and to some extent, that's not a surprise because he is an MMA fighter, and they're always going to, you know. They practice resting and they practice clinching and they do a lot more work in that area than boxers do in the modern day. Um, it was a little bit of a surprise because I don't think Nagano, no, I don't think of Nagano as particularly a clinch fighter. But even if he's not a clinch fighter, he's still going to train it and he's still going to, you know, he still has the strength from wrestling and all of that, you know, all of that stuff. And so, whenever Fury tried to try to clinch, he found himself manhandled, um, just shoved off and you know punched for it. And later on in the fight. Um, Especially after Ngannou switched to southpaw, which I think I don't know if it gave him a better angle or if he just decided, okay, now I'm gonna do this more. Um, but Ngannou started to control his head and set up shots, um, you know, push his head up and start throwing uppercuts, or or hold his head down and start throwing uppercuts. You know, not hit and holding, but like shove him into it and then clip up, clip up with the with a punch. You know, and he, you know, especially in round eight, he was really strong in round eight doing that. Like, um, 
just controlling, you know, um, controlling Fury's posture with his hand, with his lead hand, and uh, working from there. Whenever, whenever Fury tried to get in close, and that really got to Fury, it got in Fury's head, because, um, like I say, um, Fury, when he's in the pocket and he wants a break, he'll either go to range or he'll um, pinch. And in this instance, Ngannou, um cut off the clinch so he could only go to distance to rest and sometimes that wasn't the thing that needed to be doing uh, or the best it wasn't the best uh, it wasn't the thing that he would normally do in a, in a given situation you know if he took a certain shot I don't know an upper car something getting back to range wouldn't be the thing that Fury would instinctively want to do he'd want to hold on and uh, and he couldn't he couldn't and that really got to his head um, and this is the thing this is a really like the remarkable story of that fight is uh an MMA fighter in his first boxing fight just closed off an entire avenue of the fight from from the best or well, the second best boxer in the division and just completely stopped him from fighting in, in the pocket or in close and basically stopped him going on the front foot or at all and you know the other way was also true Nagano had nothing for Fury at range but uh, but yeah that is not surprising like um, expecting Nagano to be an all-round authoritarian boxer at this stage would have been madness. He's never going to be that. Like I, I think, I think, um, but it, just how quickly he managed to make that happen, and like even his jab, like it wasn't he wasn't going to win the jab battle, but it wasn't easy for Fury to just jab. I think that was part of why maybe he wanted to impose himself in the pocket. Like he was so reluctant to give that up. It's because um, even just jabbing, he was taking shots back. So. Um, so yeah, it was just really remarkable how much Ngannou learned, and this is something um, Ricky Alexander said. I think it was on in the bad left comments. I think, um, and it's something I've thought before, but um, you know, Mickey raised it after this fight, and it's completely right. Francis Ngannou just learns combat sports really quickly, and there is n you know there is no proof like this. Um, you know, he had trained boxing before, like he was he wanted to be a boxer before he wanted to be an MMA fighter, but um, you know, no one was expecting this. Um, and look, don't get me wrong, um, Francis Ngannou is not, uh, at this point, like a super amazing fighter who's going to take over the division. He might, um, you know, I'm going to get onto his other options, um, the prospects of him against the other fighters in a second. Um, he hasn't suddenly turned into a magnificent boxer who can do loads of stuff. Um, he learned a few things really well. I imagine he'll learn a few more things if he carries on boxing, even at 37. Um, and he's just really kept within the things he can do. It was just real discipline. Um, and that was what was impressive to me. And Tyson Fury, there's not, just not a lot to say about Tyson Fury. He looked bad whenever he was inside, and then at range he kind of won. He was longer and faster with the jab, and, you know, when he needed it, ultimately, for me, you know, I think I scored it for Fury. Um, I'd have to go back and properly rescore, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't a... It wasn't like I said, it wasn't robbery and fury. Um, you know, if they fight again, fury will be jabbing a lot more. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I don't even think it's hard to say if it says much about fury because he's had these performances before. You know, even Otto Wagen or um, even before that was it. Tom Schwartz he fought before he, fought, you know, after his comeback before he fought Wilder, and it's like nobody thought he was ready for Wilder, and then he was. So you know, if he takes Usyk seriously, I imagine he will be. A lot better than he was here. Whether that is enough to beat um, Usyk on the day, I don't know. But more and more, even just without this performance, um, you know, seeing 
seeing Usyk fight Joshua, but also seeing other fighters fight makes me, you know, um, think um, just the, the matchup isn't necessarily as good as for Fury, as I in, you know may have initially thought. Um, just in the sense of um, he makes big steps. He's a start switcher, and he like he is he has good footwork, but it's quite broad strokes, and I don't know if he's capable of keeping up with Usyk's smaller steps and stuff. Um, but that, I don't you know I don't think it makes a difference. Uh, this fight, the only thing that I may think uh, this fight may make me think twice about is the ability of Fury to lean on Usyk in the clinch because Usyk trains for that. He shoved Joshua about in that in that respect, and Usyk does train for that. Um, so he may have that in his pocket in a similar way. But he is a lot smaller than Ngannou, and he isn't an MMA fighter like Ngannou. So you know, I don't know, but it, that may be the thing. Um, but I think that's just not a lot to say. Was, you know, Tyson Fury did maybe what he needed to do. Um, let's go to the knockdown because I was going to mention that earlier, and then I got onto a tangent and I forgot. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about it now. Um, the knockdown, as I said, as I did, did mention earlier, it was a bit of an irony because um, Fury came in for an exchange, jumped out, came back in for another exchange, and found the counter coming, and it was kind of a looping overhand left. And Fury ducked down to his uh, <sighs> Fury ducked down to his left um, to avoid the uh, the counter, but he didn't go quite far enough or he didn't expect the shot to come as far as it did and he ended up basically trying to straighten up straight into the punch so it was not quite you know it wasn't quite a push but it was almost like he he tried to straighten up his feet did the motion of straightening up but his head stayed down because the punch was still coming and so he just kind of went straight into the punch and fell over um it wasn't you know it wasn't hurtful he recovered immediately he got up he lost the next round for me but um not for all the judges, but he pretty much, you know, after that he got a bit cautious for the next couple of rounds and, uh, and jabbed away and, uh, you know, for me, probably won those rounds, um, was it 6-7, um, you know, it's those rounds are up in the air, but Fury was much more cautious in those rounds, um, yeah, um, although no, round, round 5 here, it was round 5 that he dominated, yeah, round, round 5 he scored, <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> out of my head now, round 5 he got a Tyson Fury definitely won because um, he got a solid shot in at the end. I think that was the one. So it was round three and four that Nagani won. Anyway, I'm scoring live now of a fight I watched like two days ago. <laughs> so I'm going to shut up now. Um, yeah, future, the future. Um, Tyson Fury um, should has to fight Usyk. Hopefully, does. Um, other than that, you know, if they rematch, I'd probably still pick Fury. But um, but it'll be fun. It's much more fun to talk about what Nagani might do. Um, you know, he he has his obligations to the PFL. But we also know he intends to box. Um, the main two options you'd imagine are Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. And um, for me, the Wilder thing is it's just a straight up firefight. Like if Wilder gets any purchase on a shot on Ngannou, even Ngannou's chin, which he showed here is pretty good, isn't gonna isn't gonna take it. Like he doesn't have the defense to slip it, and he doesn't have uh, a chin to take it because nobody does. Um, but but even on his best day, Wilder usually takes a while to find the exact timing on that shot. And it takes a few tries of him throwing it before it gets home. And um, like, there is no way that Wilder is going to do to him what Fury did to him. 
uh, what uh, that uh, Nagano is going to do to him, what Fury did to him. But if if Wilder spends two or three rounds leaping at um, at Nagano, trying to land that big shot, and he doesn't get it home straight, like really early, it's a really good chance for me that it gets knocked down if he's if Nagano delivers a performance like this. Like uh, you know, Fury wasn't that far off the pace. Um, Wilder is a much wobblier and badly timed than Fury even in that state. So, you know, people were saying I've seen people saying like even you know, Fury was so bad that uh, like what people what what has it done to the discourse kind of thing. Um Yeah, but yeah, look, I'm not saying Nagano would definitely win, but he has a solid shot against Wilder and I think you know, it's pretty much a straight fifty fifty if he delivers a performance like that. Um, you know, if he de- if he delivers I wouldn't say performance like that because it's two different uh two different a fight, but if he has those same tools in his locker. If he has the same level of preparation, I think it's open. For, you know, I think it's there for him. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I would. I'm saying straight five, but I'm not sure. I'd say fifty-fifty. I just haven't seen enough of Fungano as a boxer in different situations to say that. But he's got a shot. And against um, against Antonio Joshua as well. It's um, Joshua is capable. I like Wilder. I think of just jabbing with Ngannou for 12 rounds and he doesn't have the ego that Fury did about it to try to engage and prove himself for whatever reason. He does have the issue that his reach is shorter than Ngannou's um, which means that he'll be in countering range even if he's just jabbing and moving. Um, you know, it's not quite that simple. You know, you, you don't have to commit to a jab so the range is a little bit you know, longer with a <clears throat> with a reaching jab than it would be with a, with a power shot but but he'll be way more in range of of Nagano than Fury ever had to be. Um, but um, but but he is capable of you know he, we've seen him before. I think it was against Fraser Parker. We've seen him jab, move, jab, move, jab, move. But and I think Nagano's chances against uh, Joshua are lesser than they would be against Wilder. But we have also seen Joshua panic the fuck out when he gets hit. He doesn't like taking hard shots. And Nagano is a good sharp counterpuncher, and Antonio Joshua's defense just isn't that good. He's kind of working on it. Like his recent performances, you know, they've been kind of duds in terms of not impressive, dominating, whatever. But you can see him working on little details of defense that he might frankly need if he fights Nagano. Um, again, I give Nagano if they fight, and if Nagano has that same toolkit in place. Um, I'll give him a decent shot, you know, of beating Anthony Joshua. I'm not saying he's a favourite or um, or that I, you know, that I expect it to happen or anything like that. That's, that's what favourite means, <laughs> anyway. Um, but I'll give him a shot, you know. Not, it's not a non-zero chance. On the other hand, and this is what I mean about the weirdness of the heavyweight division and uh, just uh, it being a particular style of Ngano, I wouldn't expect Ngano to handle someone like Joe Joyce at all. I think he'd get pretty easily handled by Joe Joyce, to be honest. Like, it's not impossible that Nagani does the same thing to Joyce that uh, Zeno Zane did. Like, it's not it's a zero chance, just if Joyce is already wearing that damage. Um, but I don't really think he's going to knock him out. Like, um, Zane hit Joyce a lot, even in the second fight, which is a lot shorter, he hit him a lot. And Nagani just wasn't throwing that many punches. Um, so. Yeah, I don't think he can live with that pace. Like even proving that he can go um, ten rounds on a not a particularly strong pace, but like you know, in boxing, everyone you know, everyone thought he'd be gassed very quickly, and he wasn't. 
I, that doesn't mean he can level Joe Joyce's pace. So, um, so I, like, I, I wouldn't give him, you know, I'm not saying this fight is likely to happen, but just stylistically speaking, you know, there are certain fighters who are worse than the top fighters in the division, or at least haven't proven themselves as much, who would who would have very little trouble with this version of Ngannou, whereas, you know, the top fighters, I think, would not, um, you know, I'm going to talk about him later, but just as Huni, um, just the way he's able to defend in the pocket, which I'll talk about in a second, you know, he, he may get overwhelmed physically because he's not a super hyper-athletic heavyweight. You know, he's fast, but he's not hyper-athletic. But, um, but the way he fights, and I'll talk about the way he fights in a bit later, but the way he fights makes me think it's more likely that he just, you know, he has the tools to really deal with what one kind of has in a way that I'm not sure Joshua or Wilder have, even though he is not at that level yet. You know, you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting way, it's interesting, it's an interesting place for Nagano at the moment, the heavyweight division. Anyway, let's talk about uh, Fabio Wardley, because uh, the co-main, and I covered this live for, for Bloody Elbow. Um, um, yeah, I covered this live for Bloody Elbow, and um, it was weird, um, not as exciting as I hoped, but not devoid of action. Um, Fabio Wardley just turned out to be better than I expected him to be, and Adelaide didn't really have as I thought really, he just wasn't fast enough um, to deal with it and he got really timid. Um, basically throughout the early rounds, um, Adelaide's, the shots Adelaide did land were probably the more significant ones in the round, but he just didn't throw enough, he was too worried about what was coming back at him to throw enough to win the rounds and it was consistently for me, like he could have scored a round or two for Adelaide I suppose, but um, for me it was consistently just uh, Woodley was just just the busier, and as of, as of, as the fight went on, it, he got more and more um, into it with the jab. And um, what impressed me was, um, until now, Woodley has been very much. You can see, um, if you don't know the story, he is he came late to boxing. I think about twenty two. Um, he was a white collar boxer, which means he was a businessman, you know, fighting on pubs. And then he was like, okay, I'm good at this. I like this. I'm going to turn pro. He turned pro with no amateur career, and it, I think you know he is now the British champion and has defended that title and is looking at is looking at world level. Um, you can see that in his style that he can relate to boxing. You can always you know you can always see a certain lack of something, and for for um, for Wardley, it is a certain amount of instinct. The instinct does not tell him to chuck his chin. He um, he has a tendency to uh, to hang his chin out really badly. But he fixed that. He has not fixed it completely, but he has really worked on that in between fights. He is so much better at that than in this fight than when he beat Nathan Corman last year. There were a couple of moments when he did he'd throw a couple. Of, basically, what would used to happen is he'd throw a punch and his chin would come out like just jutting out forward and be there to be hit. And you know he'd get hit and then he'd respond by going hard as a motherfucker and knocking his opponent out. But um, but it was always there to be hit. And he was much more disciplined and much better. You know, even when he was like kind of leaping in and reaching in, he was protecting his chin. He was timing it better. Um, and Adelaide just, I think Adelaide just had no answers. He had no, he expected the more open Woodley that we that we've seen before, and he didn't have it. He didn't have that guy to hit, and he just got a bit timid about it. Um, he was too slow. Yeah. Um, he, you know, there were occasionally he would land a solid shot. You know, he has the he is more solid technically. He has more depth technically. Um, Wardy even now, but he just didn't have the pace. He didn't have the accuracy. He didn't have the timing. 
and Wardy, you know, just he became kind of he was Wardy was the one pressing, pushing uh, Adelaide back, but you know, on the end of the jab, sharp jab, whip jab, just snapping his head back towards the end of the fight, um, but not over committing, not getting in too far, um, and then when the openings were there, you know, throw a few shots and then get back out. Which makes it interesting because the end of the fight came from a knockdown that came from the clinch. Basically, until then, both fighters had been essentially using the clinch as a safety net, and um, and the ref had been breaking them. And then at one point in the um, seventh round, um, they were clinched up, and the ref didn't break them, and Wardy um, just kind of shoulder bumped and they into a bit of space, and then unloaded a couple of shots, one of which sent him down. Um, Adelaide got up and they exchanged it a bit more and Wardy did get a little wild and take, wild and take a couple of shots but then he sent uh, Adelaide staggering across the ring and the ref jumped in and stopped it and Adelaide was you know, still um, cogent and he protested he threw a bit of a hissy and uh, shoved and tapped the ref you know it's not a big deal like he should have done it um, but um, you know the, you, it wasn't an enormous like he didn't punch him or anything I mean he technically did punch him but it wasn't like a massive flare up but he got a bit silly about it um, but yeah, he was still coaching, he was still there, but he had just wobbled literally halfway across the ring to fall back into the ropes, so I can't blame the referee for stopping it. And um, Wardley is just an interesting guy, he's only 28, um, he's, you know, like I say, he's only been boxing for five or six years, uh, six years, I think. Yeah, six years. Um, so um, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Um, I would like to see him at world level soon. Um, he is, the thing from about him for me is... Um, he is very fast, um, and that would you know he's not as good a boxer as Tyson Fury. Even the guy who you know nearly lost to a rookie fighter, um, I wouldn't necessarily you know I wouldn't at this point I wouldn't. He's not just shown enough to pick him to win, but he would be. I think. I think he's faster than Tyson Fury. I'm pretty positive he's faster than Tyson Fury, and therefore, he has a chance of getting shots home that other fighters don't because Fury is not often the, the slower man in them in the, or equal in his matchups so that would be interesting I don't expect to see it really ever um, you know I don't expect Wardley to reach that kind of the cachet he'd need to get that fight soon enough for Fury to still be around um, but just kind of to give you an idea of where I think he is he's raw and um, you know much better than he was but I don't think he's going to be a deep fighter technically but um but he's really tightened up his uh, his discipline and um yeah, I think Ben Williamson is uh is he's in good camp. Um yeah, um yeah, I like Wadley. Um, the other the only other real fight of note is a really shit paced card. Um Marvin Bacconi beat Carlos Takam. Um he came in really heavy, he was fucking huge and he just kinda of stood in the middle of the ring and said to Carlos Takam, come on, come and hit me and then boinked him when he tried. Um Bacone is kind of fun. Um, apparently, he was training with an injury and he had two weeks of this camp, so yeah, fair play. I imagine he'll be lighter next time. Um, he has basically the same issues as Ngano in terms of um, his matchups with you know the best. Uh, he can't move, he can't attack, like, even when he is fitter than he was here. He's never going to be a guy who really is able to push forward and press. Like, he's not going to lose his shape like I think Ngano would, he just doesn't have the stamina for it. Um, so. Um, so he has, you know, he's always going to have limitations, but um, but he's so big and he hits so hard um, that he's 
he's an interesting outcome most um, but you know there wasn't an awful lot to say about the fight itself because he just kind of like I say he just kind of bonked Kaiosakam you know he treated Kaiosakam like an actual child um, <coughs> I say that you shouldn't hit your children but, but you know, he, he looked like a little boy next to Bakola and you know Takam is not a small guy um, it's just ridiculously enormous dude especially when he's got all this weight on um, but yeah um, that's that for that card so let me talk about Oshiki Foster versus um, Eduardo Hernandez, Rocky Hernandez, which was uh, you know it was a fun fight on paper and it turned proved to be a fun fight. And Oshiki Foster is a guy who he kind of claims that he fancies himself a Mayweather defensive type. I will get onto that in a second. He's not really, but what he is is you know he's good and entertaining. To, well, not always entertaining to watch, but in this kind of fight he is. Uh, Eduardo Hernandez is a guy. He's only twenty five. Um, um, and he, you know, he was a highly rated prospect um, coming through. He got bonked by Roger Gutierrez in 2019, and has kind of been recovering since, and has earned his way back to this sort of level. And the shot fought really well. Right, I think he, they both proved that they're, you know, top of the division. Um, this is the 130 pound division. Um, they both proved that, you know, way up there in, in talent. They'll both be um, <sighs> hard outs for anyone in this division. Um, but. Uh, he got himself knocked out in the end. It was a, it's just a good, good fight. Um, yeah. So let's talk about who they are as fighters. Um, let's talk about uh, Hernandez first. Uh, Hernandez is a pressure fighter, but kind of a weird one, and he does weird shit, and he does things that are kind of sort of wrong, um, but hard to punish because trying to punish him means you get punished. So um, and Oshiki Foster did kind of kind of struggle um, and he you know he did drop rounds I didn't score the fight so I can't say who, for sure who was winning um, I think the official scores were all over the place um, the uh, the commentators absolutely had uh, Hernandez up at the time of the stoppage or maybe not by then because he'd already knocked him down but in the final round going into the final round they had uh, they had um, Hernandez up uh, yeah he just kind of like he kind of he leads over too far like I it's one of those things where I would get really irritated watching him if I saw that, you know, if I saw a fighter I like doing that. Not that I don't like Hernandez, I'm just not super invested in him. Why do I keep saying Hernandez? Well, it's Hernandez. Um, fuck's sake. <laughs> Long day, sorry. Um, yeah, um, he would annoy me if, you know, well, he does annoy me. He worries me. Not annoys me, he worries me. The way he comes over his lead foot. But he throws weird shots and he throws. Like he likes an uppercut, the commentary team pointed this out, he likes an uppercut but he sets up his uppercuts in a way that most fighters don't. He just has a weird style that makes it hard to deal with, um, which puts him in a good fit in this division since Emmanuel Navarrete is at the top. Um, and uh, and Foster, yeah, like I say, Foster did kind of struggle but he always was lying, he was always had a bead on something. And um, the thing about Ashiki Foster is this, um, he talked before the fight that he found, you know, he. Mayweather was a nightclub of his, he uh, trained there in the gym for a little while, not for long, um, he's not like a Mayweather fighter or anything, but you know, that he's a defensive wizard and that he's going to show everyone that he's a slick uh, defensive fighter. And he is, kind of, but he's also kind of not. He knows how to defend, he knows how, like, um, a worse defensive fighter, a bad defensive fighter would have been knocked out by um, Hernandez in this fight. Um, 
he knows how to take the sting off punches, he knows how to roll with punches, he knows how to defend a lot of it. Um, but he is not... Uh, he doesn't have it in him to control the timing to stop the attacks coming at him at all, which is what... Um, which is what Mayweather did so well. Um, he doesn't disrupt his, you know, he wasn't disrupting Hernandez's tempo. He wasn't able to do that, um, and so he wasn't able to neutralise the fight, which is fun for us, but bad for him, kind of. But I think what is positive is that he didn't keep trying to be that guy. Um, the guy uh, that you know, the, the guy I was talking about with is Broner, like Broner, Adrian Broner. Uh, his career is plagued by the fact that he thinks he's Floyd Mayweather and he just is not and obviously he's not as good as no one is but he's just not that style of fighter what Adrian Boner is good at is exchanging in the pocket he's good at throwing down and uh, what it turned out in this fight is that Ashiki Foster is good enough defensively to stay in the fight with this kind of guy but what he proved really good at in this fight is throwing down he beat Hernandez when he took it to a firefight and found the openings and um, that may be you know mixed to average news could be good news but you know he'll take more damage than he wishes against you know other fighters in this division um, he will have that movement to fall back on if he needs it um, you know less dedicated pressure fighters than Hernandez won't be able to close him down as much um, but he is a guy who for me showed in this fight that when the chips go, when the chips are down, uh, Oshiki Foster is not a guy who should be relying on trying to be a distance. Um, he can fight, and he should fight because he—that's where he can take control. Um, round eleven was mental. Round eleven was fucking nuts because uh, Oshiki Foster um, really badly hurt Hernandez early on um, in the round, and it looked like he was going to—he was like two minutes left and a half minutes left, and it looked like he was going to. Um, he was going to um, knock him out and then he got a bit overzealous and uh, Hernandez got, got back and the final round was just him going back and forth the final round, the final um, two minutes minute and a half of round 11 was just him going back and forth, exchanging damage both of them completely, like both of them were concussed to fuck, which you know, I shouldn't say celebrating, but it was um, it was really, they were fighting on instinct and then they came out for round 11 and um, for round 12 and um well, it was it was ten, uh, 20 seconds before the end that they stopped it. Um, yeah, but but Foster really started to dominate. You know, Foster hurt um, Hernandez again, and in this instance, he was just a bit more careful, and Hernandez was just a bit more out of it, and uh, and he wasn't able to uh, to get back into it, and the referee stopped it with 20 seconds to go. Um, it was a really good fight. I recommend it. Um, yeah, 130 pounds. Um, yeah, there's not an awful lot more to say. Uh, yeah. Um, £130 it puts Foster at the top of the division along with Navarrete and Lee Wood and Joe Cordina. I I would have to see more. I say Lee Wood. Yeah, Lee Wood's in it now, isn't he? Is he? It's, yeah, this is the one that Wood's just moved up into. I'm surprised by seeing him ranked at box rank. Anyway, whatever. Um, yeah. Um, who I, you know, if I who want to pick him in against, you know, Joe Cordina is a slicker fighter than Oshuki Foster despite Foster's protestation but Foster may be able to you know physically physically deal with Cordina um, you know Cordina's got better in that respect and Navarrete is just Navarrete if you can take his 100 punches you know if if Foster can't that is one fight where he can't bar fire the fire he has to get back to range but at the same time 
he is good enough defensively that he might be able to do more damage quickly than Rote is really unloading. But he wouldn't be able to live twelve taking full damage from Navarrete. Um Yeah, he's a, he's a good he's a good fighter in a good division, and also Hernandez is a he proved that he belongs near the top, um, and hopefully he gets other chances again. He's only twenty five. At the same time, wars like that aren't going to give him a super long career. So, you know. Um, yeah, and the other fight I wanted to talk about on that card was um, was Justice Huni versus um, bloody hell, I had his name a second ago. Let me look it up. Um, but you know, Justice Huni making his American debut. He was meant to fight. I can't remember who it was, and um, but he was meant to fight in August or no earlier in the year. He was meant to fight earlier in the year, and he did his. I think his Achilles. He hurt his foot anyway. Um, and so he's come back now. He fought Andrew Dubiti, who is not, you know, a natural heavyweight. Um, he has been fighting at heavyweight, or rather, he fought at heavyweight his last fight. But um, he has, you know, has been a career cruiserweight, Andrew Dubiti. Um, but uh, you know, his only previous loss was to to Junior Dortikos, who is, you know, a hard hitting cruiserweight. Um, and you know, Huni is not. Uh, he's a big guy, um, but he's not a. Uh, He's not that much bigger than Tabiti. He was clearly bigger in the ring, but it wasn't like a massive physical mismatch, which is part of the reason why people are concerned about Huni. He's not hugely physical, especially he's not... He's pretty strong, I'd say, but he's not a big power puncher at all, which you can tell because of, you know, eight fights, four KOs. He goes to distance in his, uh, what, all of his last uh, five fights. So, um, how's it? Um, I don't know, he take yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, one of them was a TKO in the 10th, and then three, yeah, um, his last three have all been, a, you know, gone the distance. Um, it was, it's, he's a fun fighter. Um, to beat him, you know, he's not going to be a top level heavyweight by any means. He's just not, you know, he's too small and not quite skilled enough to carry that. You know, he's not Alexander Ruzic. But he's got skills. He's got defensive skills and he's got counterpunching skills. And Huni, um, what Huni has that I think almost no other heavyweight has at the moment is. Um, he has enough layers that he can reset without resetting, without stepping out all the way, so he can keep pressing an attack um, and be defensively sound while doing so. And you know, obviously Usyk can do that. And um, you know, there are a couple of others, um, but really not many. Like he, the whole of his game is composed. He doesn't lose his uh, he doesn't lose his composure. He doesn't lose his um, balance. He doesn't get out of shape very much at all. Um, you know, occasionally he he will get into like firefights for no good reason, but even when he's doing that, he's in shape. Like, and when he's you know when he's focused, he's in and out, just jabbing. And um, like he was catching counter into BT. He was opening up to BT. Like to BT has a nice little um, shell guard, which you know it's not an amazing shell guard, but you still have to work through it. And um, and um, Huni was doing things like you know fairly obvious. You know, tap downstairs with with. Uh, to bring the hand down and then come upstairs over the top, or he was doing things like um, using his guard to, to disrupt the shell, like using his lead hand to disrupt the guard and split it and then throw shots in there. Um, he's just a composed, he's a cool fighter, and I do rate him. Um, I think more than most observers who aren't Australian do. Um, yeah, whether he's able to bring that level of technique to the top, to the top fighters, is, you know, it's hard to say because. It's different when you're facing real resistance, but um, I think he's got real potential. Um, yeah, that's all I've got to say from that card, um, which means that's all I've got to say for this week. Um, I will not be, you know, um, despite wanting to get back a bit more, um, 
just work and health um, have got in the way. Um, you know, I'm not always most of the time. I'm not particularly. I'm just too too fucked after work to 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 be able to sit down and do a podcast. I'm afraid you know it's just it's just not a you know it's not not happening for me at the moment. And you, know, you may have noticed neither of the previews um, that I write up. Um, the next two weeks, I am essentially away. The next three weekends, um, I'm not here, um, so I will be. I will not be covering anything for the next few weeks. Um, hopefully, I will see you when I get back. Um, you know, I will see you at some point. I will. You know, I don't think this is going to be the last podcast, um, but, and I cannot promise a regular podcast at the moment. You know, my apologies for that. I just can't. Just can't. Um, but you know, still follow me at all Crab Crafty Boxing on Twitter. I'm not going to be tweeting very much after after Friday, but uh, for the next two weeks. But um, but follow me anyway. Um, you can follow me on. Uh, Blue Sky, if you're over there as well, um, same handle, um, and um, Crafty Boxing at Blue Sky, however have it's uh, you know social, whatever it is. Um, follow the fight site at thefightsite.com uh, uh, at the fight site on Twitter, and you know join our Patreon. <coughs> all that, all that promotional stuff, you know. Follow all of us, um, and uh, yeah, like I say, I will see you next time. Have a good one.